While you're turning to Colossians chapter 3, go ahead and find 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 as well, because I want to touch on that and then come back to Colossians chapter 3. Tonight's message is going to be a little bit different than normal. Instead of just going down through a passage, I'm dividing the message tonight up into three parts, and I want to start in this way. Sort of parallel to the thought that I've never met a human being yet that said, I don't need any more encouragement. I have all the encouragement at this point in my life I'll ever need. That's never happened. It never will happen. We all need continual encouragement. The same thing is true when it comes to our environments. That for the Christian, there's never a time in our life where we have too many spiritual environments. Too, too many positive spiritual environments in our life. And what we're going to see as we go back to Colossians tonight is that that's really what Paul's talking to the Christians at Colossae about. Last week, uh, we talked about the church. The week before that, we talked about us as individuals. Tonight, we're going to talk about the home Husbands, wives, parents, children, and also then our workplace or, you know, rubbing shoulders with those out in the world. And, and what Paul is saying to us is that you and I, even if we're the only ones, that God can use us to create a, spot, a positive spiritual environment everywhere we go and with everything we come in contact with. And that if we do have those spiritual environments in our life, if, if our individual life is healthy spiritually, if we have a church that we can come to and, and grow and be refreshed, then we should take advantage of it. If we have a home that is God-centered, hallelujah for that. And if we have a workplace where we can at least go and, and, and share the light of Christ in our own way, then... That's awesome, because I want to take us back to a verse that we saw a couple weeks ago. In verse 11 of chapter 3, Paul says, Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. He is our everything. And then notice, he is in all, meaning he permeates everything. His desire is to permeate everything, every area of our life, which is what the Christian life is a lot about, is turning more and more of our individual life over to him, permeating every facet of our church, every area of the home, every person in the home, even in our workplace, in our schools, wherever, that, that Christ can go in there and begin to move and work and and have his presence felt there no matter where it's at. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 for just a moment, and then we'll come back to Colossians. This verse also reminds us of that. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and who makes known through us the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of him, where? In every place in our workplace, in our school, in our home, in our church, 
everywhere we go, we as Christians are to allow him to permeate us so that then everywhere we go, he is permeating that environment. That we are, even by our presence there, that we are making known his knowledge in every place. That we carry a fragrance with us. We carry a spiritual odor with us. It, it should be the odor of Jesus Christ. And in every place, God wants us to go and make him known, permeating everything. So that's why Paul's talking about all these different environments and reminding us that we need to make sure that we are making every environment that we enter into and are a part of the most positive spiritual environment that we can and that we're taking Christ into that environment and that we're benefiting and we're seeking out places that we can benefit and grow and be refreshed spiritually because we all need that. We can't continue to make Christ known in every place, in every environment we go, if we're not taking advantage of, in the right way, the opportunities to be in environments like this one and be renewed and refreshed and grow ourselves, you see. So that's why Paul talks about all these different, in a, in a sense, environments. So I want you to keep that in mind. So then go back to chapter 3 of Colossians. The other verse that sort of defines everything Paul's talking about now in chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians in, in the context is verse 17. Verse we touched on last week, but I want to go back and pick it up there tonight. Paul says, whatever you and I do, okay, make no exception, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, to do everything in the name of Jesus is two things. It is to do it in accordance with who he has revealed himself to be. That would be the side of, say, worship when Jesus said to the woman at the well that God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. Truth. Okay? That as you and I... Remember, we are to soak up spiritual environments as much as possible and be a positive influence in all the environments that we go. And can I, let me say this too, isn't it even more important to do that in the days in which we live, where in the world much of the environment out there is spiritual darkness? that all the more reason that you and I as Christians, when we find environments where we can be built up spiritually, we need to make sure we are in those environments and that we are positively also adding and enhancing those environments so that others can benefit as well. So in every place, but then notice, in everything, we are to do it in accordance with who he's revealed himself to be, and in a sense, in partnership with him. That's what it means to do everything in the name. In other words, if you and I can't say that what I'm doing right now, I'm partnering with Christ to do it, then, then we shouldn't do it. 
If Christ can't be a part of it, you see, then we shouldn't do it because it's not in accordance with who he is. So again, that's why Paul's talked about, first of all, our personal life, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. The life of the church, what the church should be, verses 12 through 17 that we looked at. And then tonight, the home, the relationship of husbands and wives and parents and children. And the workplace or the school or just how we move about in the world, whether we are in authority or under authority. In every one of those environments, what Paul then is saying is this. Am I making Christ known in every place that I go? Am I soaking up the positive spiritual environments and placing myself in places where I can benefit, where I can be built up, where I can grow? And then in every environment that I find myself in, am I also doing it in the name of the Lord? Am I doing church the way God said church should be done? Are we doing it in partnership with Him? Well, we're not trying to do it by ourselves, but with Him. In my individual life, am I partnering with Christ every day? And am I doing my life the way God says I should live my life? How about in our homes? Are we doing home, if you will, the way God lays out the home should be done? And are we, each of us, doing it in partnership with Him? And then finally, in the workplace. Am I doing it the way God wants me to? Whether I'm one who's in authority in the workplace or whether I am one who's under authority, am I doing it the way God designed it to do it and am I doing it with him, everything with him? Because before we get in and then walk through this passage tonight and just share some things that God laid on my heart about this tonight, I want us to keep three things in mind. And each of them applies to every area of our life. Whether you're talking about our individual personal walk with God, that's one environment, okay? We're each an environment. The church environment, our home is an environment, and then whatever we do out in the world is another environment. In every one of those environments, the Bible says we have to look at every one of those three ways. And sometimes they're only going to be one of these. Sometimes they're going to be a combination of these three. But every environment you and I walk into as a Christian will either be a mission field, a training field, or a battlefield. Now let me repeat that, because that, that covers everything that Paul's talking about here in Colossians 3 and 4, and everything we've said so far tonight about the environment. Every environment that you and I walk into is either a mission field. Somebody needs to see Jesus in us. Maybe it's in our home. Maybe it's in our workplace, in the world where we're going about. Maybe it's in our church. Okay? Every environment is a training field, meaning God may hold us responsible to be training others, in a sense, discipling them, but also God is using each of those environments to train us 
even if it's our individual environment. Paul told Timothy, train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy 4.7. Train yourself for godliness. So we are responsible to be in training, if you will. But then the church. The church is a place, what, of training? In a sense, there's always to be mutual training going on in the church where others and their Christian life, we're growing from them and we're being built up by what they do and hopefully God is using us to build up and train others. It should always be that way in the church. Same thing is true in the home. Why does God give the instructions that he does? Because in every home, if there's children, guess what? There's training and there's a mission field, right? Before they come to know Christ. There's both. And then, let's say both spouses aren't Christian. What's Peter say to the unsaved wife? If you follow these instructions, your husband very well, doesn't make any promises, but very well, may be won over by the way you live. Because why? Because it's a mission field and it's a training field. And you and I grow from doing it the way God said we should do it if we're doing it God's way, you see. Battlefield. I don't mean battlefield in the sense of, like, in the church environment, we're fighting with each other, or in the home we're fighting with each other. I mean, that happens. I'm talking about the fact that you and I have to be conscious as a Christian that whether we're talking about our personal life, our church life, our home life, our workplace, or wherever we're moving out there in the world, that Satan wants to get in. There is no environment where you and I are trying to take Christ in every place, 2 Corinthians 2.14, and make him known in every place that Satan's not trying to destroy that and mess it up and in a sense, mar the image of Jesus through us or through somebody else. We have to be conscious of that. I mean, we're being attacked personally by our spiritual enemy, which is why the Bible tells us personally, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And over and over again, be strong in the Lord, you know, put on the spiritual armor. So there's always, in the back of our mind, we've got to understand these things because there's a battle going on individually. Satan's trying to get into the church. Satan's trying to get into our homes. Satan's trying to get into our place where we work and mess up us trying to not only make his knowledge known in every place, but also live life according to Colossians 3.17, to do everything in word or deed in the name of the Lord to do it in accordance with who he's revealed himself to be and in partnership with him. Satan's trying to always get us off the rails when it comes to that. When we then have that picture painted of how important every environment you and I walk in and walk through every day, every week, every month, every year is, what God is wanting to do with each of us in each of those environments and how we are should, should do it, it then really adds weight to what Paul said to us last week about how we should do church. Because if we're not doing church, 
the way God said to, then guess what? We're not being the mission field, the training field, or being the people that's going to be able to fend off Satan when he tries to infiltrate our fellowship, battlefield. And the same thing is true in the home. So let's start there. Verse 18, Colossians chapter 3. And let's just spend a few minutes in this passage. First of all, wives, submit your, to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. A couple things I want to point out here tonight. This is not directed to husbands. This is directed to Christian wives. In other words, husbands aren't supposed to try to get their wives to submit or, or even order them to submit. That's not at all what Paul's saying here. This word means the Christian wife, because, because she understands the dynamics we've just talked about, the environment, training field, battlefield, uh, mission field, that she willingly places herself not so much under her husband, but under God's arrangement. This is God's plan. This, this wasn't cooked up by a human being. This was God's plan for the home. And so, in a sense, a Christian wife is submitting to her husband because ultimately she's submitting to the Lord. And that's why then he ends verse 18 by saying, as is fitting in the Lord. Guess what? That takes us back up to verse 17 of chapter 3. Because it really means, fitting means in accordance with the way the Lord laid it out and in partnership with him. If we want to be in partnership with God and we want to do things in accordance with him, then in the home, the wives are to place themselves willingly, voluntarily under their husband's leadership. Now, let me say one more thing before I move on. Now, this obviously would take place before a gal got married, but one of the best pieces of advice that I could give a gal before she got married is marry a husband that you respect enough to let him lead you. Because if you're marrying a man that you don't respect enough to let you lead you, then you're going to have a really even much more difficult time with this. Not that it's impossible, but that should be then who you're looking for when you marry. You're marrying a man you respect enough that you will allow him to lead you. Now let's talk to the husband. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. First of all, we'll get to that second part in a minute. Bad English translation here. It's not often that I'm like, oh, this is a bad English translation, but we'll save that for a moment. Let's go back to, first of all, love your wife. And let me start where I ended with the wives. What I would say to a young man before he got married is, marry a woman, a young lady that you respect enough to value her and love her. Because love, the way God loves us, which is the kind of love God calls husbands to love their wives to, is a love that is awakened by a sense of value. The only way we really love anyone 
is because we value them. The way you and I love each other, how we express that love, it all goes back to our value, how we value that person, which is why God is the ultimate example. You see, the reason why God loves us is not because we, we're so lovable. It's because he values us, you see. We are a treasure to him. And that should be the way it is with husbands and how they express themselves to their wives. Okay? It's a love that is, again, going back to verse 17, defined by God in accordance and in partnership with him because you and I as husbands can't make that happen unless we're partnering with God every day and we're doing it the way God said to do it. Let's talk for just a moment about this word embittered. In the English translation, it almost makes it sound like the husband could get to a place where he could become bitter against his wife. Bad translation. If you study this in the original language, it's actually talking to husbands as it does here. And it's saying, husbands, don't provoke your wife to the point where she becomes bitter. Literally, in the Greek language, this word embittered was describing a sharp, pointy object. And basically, he's saying to husbands, don't be a sharp, pointy object with your wife because you will cause her to become embittered and you will poison your relationship with her. Because the word bitter here also carries the connotation of that wormwood that's talked about in the book of Revelation, that poisonous plant. And he's saying to husbands, you will poison your relationship if you are sharp and pointy and pokey and provoking all the time. Then children. Obviously, children at an age where they can understand children who have accepted the Lord as their Savior, obey your parents in everything. No exceptions. Obey means to listen attentively and be fully compliant and cooperative. Guess what? Training ground, right? Training ground. Mission field. And here's why. Because later on, the very same command is given to those under authority in the workplace. That we, in the workplace, or in school, or wherever we are at where we have authorities over us, we are to be cooperative and compliant. Guess where we should learn that? In the home. And if you and I, as children, don't learn that from our parents, and we get out there in the world, then obviously then the schools are going to get messed up, and the workplace is going to get messed up, because the church... And the home, again, isn't doing church and the home the way God designed it. And then all of a society begins to break down because of it. I think we see that happening, right? Again, the word pleasing here in verse 20 takes us back up to verse 17. That's doing it all in the name. You and I can't please the Lord unless we're in partnership and living in accordance with Him. 
So you see, throughout this whole passage, Paul keeps taking the Colossians back up to verse 17, or the the truth of verse 17. To do all in the name of the Lord, because it's fitting, because it pleases the Lord, because it lines up with who he is, and it's something done in partnership with him. And then to parents, verse 21. Parents, do not provoke your children. I'll say this about the concept of provoking. Probably the best one-word English word that I could use to describe this word would be exasperate. Don't be a parent that exasperates your children. And I'll add this, making life for your children harder than it has to be. Now, that doesn't mean parents make life easy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that godly parents should make their life easy for children because that doesn't build character. What I'm saying is don't add to what life already had. Don't keep adding weights and burdens that are unnecessary and really unwise and not even part of what children should be carrying around. Because then that weighs them down so much that notice the Bible says they can become disheartened, discouraged, despondent. There's too much being placed on them. Too many expectations. Or another way that this is flushed out many times by parents is that we as parents can tend to try to live our life or what we wanted our life to be or who we want our children to be through them. And so we want to them to do this and be involved in this and all this. And is it really about them? Is that really what fits them? Is that the way God designed them? Or is that more about us? And when you and I begin to place these extra things on our children, there comes a tipping point where it goes from building their character and growing them to exasperating them. Nothing's ever good enough. And all I ever get is criticism, but I never get any praise. And where I keep having all these things that I'm expected to do, and I'm, you know, nine years old. Age-appropriate responsibilities are great. That's what God designed it to be. But let's make sure that you and I as parents are placing realistic expectations upon our children and not exasperating them. Why? Because again, the home is a mission field, a training ground, a battlefield. That's why God is giving us very clear instructions of how to do home in his name so that you and I take the knowledge of Jesus Christ and make it known in every place. And one environment cannot be a substitute for another environment. Let me say that. Back when I was in youth ministry, I ran across many Christian parents who thought it was enough to send their children to, say, a Christian school, and then they sort of could just you know, wipe their hands of their responsibilities in the home, and then they didn't even really get their children that involved in the youth group at church. Going back to my original point, does there ever come a point, no matter how old we are, that we can be placing ourselves in too many good environments? No. No. 
In fact, the more positive reinforcement any of us get, including children, the better. So the optimum would be we're good individually, then we have a positive environment in our church that we can all be a part of. Then when we're home, that's a God-centered, positive spiritual environment. And then somehow maybe we're even fortunate enough that we're not the only Christian in our workplace or at school or whatever, and that, that, that God has us there and that we can benefit as we benefit others. So with that said, let's talk about the work environment for just a moment. I know many would say, well, he's talking here to slaves and masters. But again, remember in Bible times, it wasn't like it was here in our country back in the 1800s, whenever the whole Civil War thing was going on. It was more that they were household servants. The best I could come up with to try to parallel it would be, and not that there's none around anymore, but like back when there were butlers and, and, and that in homes and, and, and people had household servants to take care of other things, you know, the whole Downton Abbey thing. Watch it sometime. So he says, slaves, those under authority, obey your earthly masters in every respect. Listen attentively and be fully compliant and cooperative. Again, why? The only way that can happen is in partnership with God and in accordance with who he's revealed himself to be. And again, I grow up to be that as an adult because hopefully I was part of a church and I was part of a home where I learned that at a very young age. See, training ground, training field, mission field. Not only when they're watching, like those who are strictly people pleasers, Work hard whenever the boss is watching. When the boss isn't watching, the feet go up on the desk and we're good. He says, no, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. Guess what that does again? Takes us back up to verse 17. Because a single heart means with singleness of purpose. That everywhere I go as a Christian, if I'm doing something and I'm under somebody's authority, I'm not doing it primarily for them. I'm doing it in the name of the Lord. I'm doing it to bring honor and glory to him. I want to, in that environment, no matter where it is, I want to manifest his knowledge in every place I go. And the only way to do that is to do everything that I do in word or deed, in the workplace, in school, or whatever environment I find myself in, under authority with him. And in the way he said to do it, that singleness of purpose respecting and reverencing the Lord. Then I love this, because this verse could apply to everything you and I do as a Christian, no matter what environment we're in. Whether it's at home, at church, at the workplace, at school, wherever we find ourselves. Whatever you're doing, work at it with enthusiasm. It means energetically and diligently. Why? Because we are representing the Lord. We are the ambassadors for Jesus Christ. No service, therefore, no matter how menial it is, is ever insignificant when a Christian does it. Why? Because we're serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's why Jesus even brought something as, as small as giving someone a cup of cold water in his what? Name. 
Because if we're doing it for the Lord, it means something. And no service is too small. Where you and I struggle as servants is when we start doing it for people. Because <laughs> as I've said many times, you and I will never get the applause, the appreciation, and the affirmation from other people that we think we deserve. But if we trust that God keeps the accounts, that God will one day recompense us and reward us for every good thing that we've done, then we let it in his hands. You see, and we look to him because ultimately he's our reward anyway. And he's the one we're doing it for. If we're doing it for other people, our service will wane very quickly. If we're doing it for the Lord and we stay close to the Lord, that fire to serve and to be a servant humbly, that will burn forever. Which is why then he says, verse 24, because you know, by the way, this word know means beyond a shadow of a doubt. I hope you and I all know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and I will receive an inheritance from the Lord as our reward. God saving his best rewards for his people so that you and I can enjoy them and experience them for all of eternity. It's not that God doesn't reward us and bless us down here on earth, but his best blessings are waiting on us in glory, my friends. And God promises every last one of his servants that he will have a part of his kingdom for us there and a part to play as well. So that's why he ends verse 24 by saying, serve the Lord Christ. Get up every day and go, I'm a servant of the king. And every environment that I go into is either a mission field, a training field, or a battlefield. And I need to make sure that I'm doing everything then in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because I want to make him known. I want to be a blessing in every environment I'm in, and I want to receive a blessing from every environment that I'm in. Then he goes on to say, for the one who does wrong, who ignores God and injures others, will be repaid for his wrong, and there are no exceptions, no favoritism or partiality with God. Then chapter 4, verse 1. And by the way, this is another example where our chapter and verse divisions were not divinely inspired. Chapter 4 should have actually started in verse 2. Because chapter 4, verse 1 is just a continuation of what he's just talked about. But now, instead of talking to the ones under authority, now he wants to talk for a second to those in authority. He says, now you all listen up who are in authority. Now remember, too, in the, he's talking to Christians here. Obviously, he'd be wasting his breath talking to unbelievers because unbelievers don't have the capacity to fulfill these commands because they don't have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in their life. But when you and I have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we are fully capable of any and all of these things. Masters, those possessing authority, treat your slaves or those under your authority with two things, justice and fairness. First of all, the word justice Guess what that does? Takes us back up to verse 17. Because it 
literally means what is in alignment or accordance with God. That's being just. Exactly what Paul said. Do everything in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to the Father through him. Just. Just like God. And then fair is to express value to everyone under your authority. No matter what part they play in the organization, in the business, in your life, if you have people under your authority, each of them has a part to play. And as leaders, as those in authority, we need to be good at making sure that everybody on our team knows that they are valuable in their own way. Now, obviously, not everybody holds equal value as far as the overall, say, business or situation does. But if they're part of it, that we should let them know that they are a valued part of it. That's what it means to be fair here. Why? Because he ends by saying, because you know this, you have a master in heaven, the supreme authority. And you and I are going to have to, who are in authority, are going to have to give an account before the supreme authority one day of how we treated those under our authority. Did we treat them like Jesus would? In accordance with how he laid out we should treat others? Can we say that the way we treat those under our authority, that we're doing it in partnership with Jesus Christ? Practical stuff. That's why I tell people the, the Bible is so practical. It, it's nuts and bolts living. It gets right down to where we are every day, whether it's our church life, our home life, our individual walk with God, or our walk out there in the workplace or in the world. Everything should be affected by our walk with Christ. Because Christ, going back to chapter 3, verse 11, is all should be our everything, and should be in all, permeating everything that you and I do. Because, as Paul says to the Corinthians, God wants to lead us in triumphal procession, making his knowledge known through us, through us, in every place. If you and I remember every day that there will not be one place our foot treads that day that is not a potential mission field, training field, or battlefield spiritually, that will go a long way towards doing everything we do with enthusiasm because we understand what is at stake in all of those environments? That everywhere you and I go, everyone that we allow to touch our lives, every life that we touch, is a potential convert for Christ, disciple of Christ, or we've allowed the enemy to get in 
and destroy what Christ wants to do. Mission field, training field, battlefield. That's our life. And you and I can rise to the occasion and we can step out into every one of those environments and we can overcome. Because Paul said to the Corinthians, Christ will lead you and I in triumphal procession every time that we're following him. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can get the best of us, no matter what environment God places us in. And let's face it, if you read the Bible and you know your Bible, you know that throughout the Bible, most of the time the reason we read about the people we do and call them the heroes of faith we call them is because they were on a field that was less than optimal as far as the circumstances went. Most of the time, these people that we look at as heroes of the faith, they were living for God in very adverse circumstances. And I say that only because it hopefully is an encouragement to us that in the days in which we live, God never promised us that life on earth before he came back or before we went home to be with him was going to be an easy life. He never promised us that. What he did tell us was that if we follow him, because he overcame the world, we can overcome the world too. And that we can live in victory and that we can leave a legacy on this earth. And that we can make an impact for Jesus Christ every day, even in the most hostile, adverse situations. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that your word just literally gets into every crevice of our life. That there's no part of our life, God, that you don't want to be Lord of. There's nowhere we go, God, that you don't want to make yourself known through us. And I pray tonight that we, as your people, would commit ourselves, as Paul said to the Colossians, to serve the Lord Christ, to make ourselves available to you, to present our body a living sacrifice to you each and every day, knowing that no matter what we do, no matter how small or infinitesimal it is to us, that nothing, Lord, that we do for you is insignificant, that it can have an eternal impact upon the lives of others. Because everywhere we go, God, is either a mission field, a training field, or a battlefield. God, go with us. Take your people home tonight. Give us a good night's rest. Wake us up tomorrow once again to be a light in the darkness of this world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.